we're going to start by um, doing a little bit of acting. So, um, <laughs> I know, yeah, just what everyone loves. So, um, this, is, this is not simply because the children are in for the whole session. This is open to any age, any experience of acting. That's absolutely fine. Um, and uh, so, what we need, I've got a, I've got a cast list. Um, so, if we can just have this uh, pushed on for a, a little bit. Uh, there should be a list of characters on the next slide. Here we go. So, um, if you want to follow, if you don't want to be involved in the acting, you can follow in your Bibles. We're going to be looking at 1 Samuel 19. Uh, but the list of characters, we've got King Saul. Boom. Anyone? Is this a King, King Saul? Yeah, we've got a King Saul. Welcome, King Saul. Thank you. And, uh, and then we need a David, the hero. Hey, where's David? Ben wants to be David. Come on then. Hey. And uh, we need Michael. Now, Michael is David's wife and Saul's daughter. Ooh, what's going to happen? Um, she's the real hero, though. And we have Michael. Yay. Excellent. So, um, and uh, we now need a group, two groups, in fact, of soldiers. They're both sore soldiers, so I need a few people to go. We've got one soldier. We need at least two. I was hoping for at least four so we could have some groups. Soldiers, come on down. Isaac, are you a soldier? Alfie, where's Alfie? Yay, we've got a soldier. Any more soldiers? Oh, come on, Jubilee. You can do better than two soldiers. Soldier, soldier. Parents can accompany their child soldiers. That's probably politically incorrect, what I just said. Um, excellent. We have a soldier. Brilliant. Okay. Right. So, this is what's happened so far. The hero, David. Where's David? He's been out fighting battles for Saul, the king. <laughs> he wasn't all bad. <laughs> and... Um, the people, the whole nation, are very excited about David because he's way, yeah. But Saul, Saul is not happy with David because they used to sing songs about, Dave, about Saul and now they're singing them about David. So he is angry. We've got an angry Saul. Slightly confused Saul as well, yeah. Okay. So, um, Saul, if you could take your soldiers and just wait over there for a minute because the scene starts in the house. So, here we've got <laughs> the domestic bliss of David and his wife, Michael. Yay! And they're just pottering around the house, having a nice afternoon, when Saul sends his first group of soldiers to come and watch the house. So maybe two of you come over, and they come, send the soldiers across, that's it. And if you, you soldiers arrange yourself, and you are watching the house, watching it. Yeah. And the reason is, because in the morning, in the morning, Saul's plan is to kill David. So, Michael... Michael says to David, listen, love, you've got to escape. 
You've got to get out of here. If you don't get out of here, they're going to get you in the morning. So what we'll do is we'll send you out the back window down a rope. So Michael, push push David out the window over here. This is David. And off he goes. And he runs off and he escapes. Hey! And, And Michael then goes to the bedroom, which is here. You can see, very high quality sleeping bag, and takes a statue and a goat's hair wig to pretend that David's in bed. So let's do that, Michael. Here we go. Do you want to hold up the... uh... That's your new husband. Okay. (laughs) And come come and put him in the bed. There we go. And tuck him up. There we go. All right. Meanwhile, Saul's soldiers got their eye on the house. Nothing's coming in, nothing's going out, so they think. Next morning, Saul wakes up. Saul, you there? Awake? <laughs> and you, you, send, you, send, you send your next group of soldiers, which has now expanded to three. Thank you, ladies. And uh, they come and knock on the door. Knock, 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 knock. And Michael answers the door and says, says to these three, who are you looking for? That's it, yeah. And they say, we want to see David. And Michael says, oh, I'm very sorry, he's poorly in bed. And so they go back to Saul. And then Saul says... Go and get him anyway, even if he's really ill. And so the soldiers come back. They burst past Michael, go into the bedroom, and they discover shock horror. A statue with a goat's hair wig. The end. Thank you. Thank you, David. You're safe. Thank you, actors and actresses. So, kids, if you want to go and do some um, artistic work at the back, then you can. There's some uh, stuff there around God being our shield and our refuge, which is what we're going to be thinking about today. And I'll get you back in a minute, Ben, okay? So, The reason that we looked at that story from 1 Samuel 19 is because that provides the background to the psalm that we're going to look at today. And um, this summer, we're looking through the book of Psalms. Sorry, I've got wig hair on me. Sorry, that's not something I've ever said during a sermon before. Um, um, Although, who knows what might happen in the future. Um, But, um, so, there is a... (laughs) There is a call on us as a church to be characterised by outrageous worship. And uh, a prophetic word was given to the church 2014, so five years ago. Part of it says this, And so, Jubilee Church, I want you to understand today, says the Lord, that you will usher in my reign in the context of outrageous worship. That what will mark this church in this season, what will shift the atmosphere in this season, what will replace spiritual strongholds will come from the place 
of outrageous worship. And as a church, we feel this is a very significant word for us. And as we came to, and we've seen some elements of it fulfilled over the last five years. But as we came to plan our summer preaching series, we felt led to the book of Psalms, and in particular, to look at the book of Psalms and think, what does this teach us about being a people who are characterized by outrageous worship? And so because of that, we're looking at a whole series of Psalms, and today I'm going to look at Psalm 59 with the theme of outrageous worship when we are surrounded. So that picture there that we just saw provides the context for this Psalm. David's house surrounded by these people who had a death warrant for him. But before we read it, I just want to make a comment about the importance of context, because Popular songs um, often reveal more meaning in their words once you know the context into which they were written. Psalms are going to be no different from that. So one of my favorite songs, which uh, could be up here, is, uh, is called Wires by Athlete. And I don't know whether you know it, but the story behind that is Joel Potts, I think his name is, the singer. Um, his, his daughter, baby daughter, was rushed into intensive care when she was born. And so he wrote... You got wires going in, you got wires coming out. And then he talks about running down corridors, through automatic doors, got to get to you. I see hope is here in a plastic box, like they have in intensive care. But the song finishes with first night of your life, curled up on your own, looking at you now. You would never know. And that whole thing just comes to life when you know the context that it was written in and what he was communicating in his words. The context adds depth to the meaning of the words. So that's why we looked at that story there from 1 Samuel 19. And uh, if we look at the, the start of the psalm, I don't know whether people are aware of this, but obviously the chapter headings and verses, they aren't part of the original scripture. But in Psalms, you often get this little bit of title at the top, often printed in smaller words. And for Psalm 59, it says, for the choir director, so it's going to be sung, set to Al-Tasheth, a miktam of David, when Saul sent men and they watched the house in order to kill him. So when you read something like that, I'd recommend that you look at the cross-references in your Bible, find that story, read the story, and then read the psalm because it will come to life in a different way. So that's what we're going to do now. Psalm 59. Words will appear on the screen. Deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Set me securely on high, away from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who do iniquity and save me from men of bloodshed. For behold, they have set an ambush for my life. Fierce men launch an attack against me. Not for my transgression, nor for my sin. For no guilt of mine, they run and set themselves against me. Arouse yourself to help me and see. You, O Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, awake to punish all the nations. Do not be gracious to any who are treacherous in iniquity. Selah. They return at evening. They howl like a dog and go around the city. Behold, they belch forth with their mouth. Swords are in their lips, but they say, who hears? 
But you, O Lord, laugh at them. You scoff at all the nations. Because of his strength, I will watch for you. For God is my stronghold. My God in his loving kindness will meet me. God will let me look triumphantly upon my foes. Do not slay them or my people will forget. Scatter them by your power and bring them down, O Lord, our shield. On account of the sin of their mouth and the words of their lips, let them even be caught in their pride. And on account of curses and lies which they utter, destroy them in wrath. Destroy them that they may be no more. That men may know that God rules in Jacob to the ends of the earth. Selah. They return at evening. They howl like a dog and go around the city. They wander about for food and growl if they're not satisfied. But as for me, I shall sing of your strength. Yes, I shall joyfully sing of your loving kindness in the morning, for you have been my stronghold and a refuge in the day of my distress. O my strength, I will sing praises to you, for God is my stronghold, the one who shows me loving kindness. Shall we pray? Father God, we thank you for your presence and the fact that we get to spend time in your presence together. Lord, we thank you for your word to us, the richness of the narrative, these crazy stories of escaping fugitives preserved by your grace. And then we get to read of the songs of praise that they write in that context. Father, would you open this word up to us this morning? May we encounter you afresh and may we truly be outrageous worshippers of our amazing Heavenly Father. Amen. So, Ben, can I borrow you for a minute? So I don't know whether you noticed, but just as we were coming back from the break, it said on the screen, there once was a woman called Flo. Okay? And like that, you kind of know what's coming next. It's going to be about five lines long. Lines one and two and five will rhyme. Three and four will rhyme with each other. And there's probably a humorous bit to it. So uh, Ben's actually going to give the rest of this because this is something that we wrote together, well, made up together on the way to school one day. Is this working, this microphone? Okay, just speak close to me. Go on then. There was once a woman called Flo who had a very, very long to go. She sat on a horse of very great force, and the horse replied, oh no. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Ben. So that, because when we read something like that, there's some automatic cues, clues, that are triggered in our mind, and we think, oh, there's going to be something humorous here, and we know the kind of format. When we read Psalms, that's a lot of it is Hebrew poetry and songs. There are lots of clues in there as to what to expect, and we don't necessarily see it because we don't, well, I don't read it in the original Hebrew, and I don't have a full and deep understanding of Hebrew poetry. However, for this one, for this psalm, there's a fairly clear structure to it, and once we see the structure, that helps us unpack the story. Now, Bible school is starting in September, and this is the sort of thing we look at in Bible school, where we look at different types of literature within the Bible and unpack it and give ourselves really develop the skills for reading the Bible in more depth. So that's a little plug for Bible school. But um, here we go. So 
Just for starters, read verse 6 of Psalm 59. They return at evening, they howl like a dog and go around the city. Now read verse 14. They return at evening, they howl like a dog and go around the city. There's a clue there that those two verses are going to provide some sort of structure within the psalm. The repetition, exactly the same words. And what comes just before each of these verses is that strange word, and I don't know whether I said it correctly, selah, which means, we think, a pause, which I tried to give, or a musical interlude or a crescendo, something like that. It's certainly something different within the flow of the words that's meant to stop us in our tracks and reflect on what's just been said. So when we put that together in this psalm, we've kind of got this sort of picture of the breakdown of the psalm, which will help us, I think, get into it. So we've got kind of verses one to five, then a pause as we reflect on that, and then this interlude. The howling dogs come and then it progresses to talk about God. And then it resets in verse 10b and again focuses on the enemy and so on and builds through to this pause. And then the dogs come back and then talks about that, and it concludes with praise. So I think that's going to help us just make sense, really, of it. And in terms of the content, David begins this whole thing. Remember, he's at home with these people surrounding his house. He can't just walk out his front door. He's surrounded. And he's crying out for deliverance. Deliver me, in verse 1. Deliver me, in verse 2. He uses the word ambush in verse 3. I don't know whether you noticed that. That's what it feels like to him. And he is utterly convinced that he hasn't done any wrong thing towards Saul. So he's saying in verse 3 and 4, not for my transgression or sin, for no guilt of mine they run and set themselves against me. All he's been doing is fighting Saul's battles. And Saul thinks, I don't like him anymore. He's become too successful. So David's claiming that there are false accusations now against him. And so he builds that up and then he asks God to to destroy them. Um, Then we have that interlude. I'll come back to that kind of verse. If you think of it like verse, chorus, verse, chorus, it's almost like the chorus we'll come back to later. But in the second verse, he then describes their behavior again. Saying about the, the sin of their mouth in verse 12 and asking God to destroy them again. And then in these chorusy bits, he talks about the fact he's surrounded, but his focus gradually moves towards God, and that's where it finishes. And before we think about the the implications for outrageous worship of that, I think there's a really big difficulty with this psalm. And the difficulty is the shocking language that's used in it. So just let me draw your attention to verse 5. Do not be gracious to any who are treacherous in iniquity. I mean, Darren selected some wonderful songs today. We didn't sing that line. Why not, Darren? (laughs) Next week, maybe. (laughs) You thought about it. Yeah. What about verse 13? Destroy them in wrath. Destroy them that they may be no more. Again, not in your normal hymn book. 
And I think these sorts of sentiments are shocking to us. As 21st century Westerners, we read that and we go, ah, it's the Old Testament, it's okay, I'm off the hook. (laughs) Not so much. About 24 Psalms have verses like that, content like that. That's roughly one in six. So you're going to have to discount quite a few. And we're saying that the Psalms might have something to teach us about outrageous worship. Now, a couple of weeks ago, Paul started this series looking at Psalm 139. A wonderful psalm. I'll remind you of some of the highlights that he focused on. You've known me, Lord. Lord, you've searched me and known me when I sit down and rise up. Um, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Um, You formed my inward parts. You wove me together in my mother's womb. I give thanks to you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. How precious are your thoughts to me. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, oh God. I hate them with the utmost hatred. That is it actually in Psalm 139. And it kind of jars. But after David says that last bit, he then says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. He's just talked about hating his enemies with the utmost hatred. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Those two verses, I think, are even more shocking than the previous ones because he basically prays this prayer and then says, God, I'm prepared for you to now search my heart and motives. Wow. He's willing to undergo the scrutiny of God on the heart, having said that he wants the sinners to be destroyed. So how do we handle that? Well, next week, no. Um, (laughs) There's a real pressure on us to dismiss this whole idea of punishment and the wrath of God. Just over the last four or five months, I've had a number of conversations with people who have said, the punishment of God now, we don't really need it. It's just a biblical image. No, it's there. The wages of sin is not a rap on the knuckles. The wages of sin is death. Sin is bad news and there are consequences for it. And so when these psalmists are writing these sorts of words, these are prayers directed to God about the truth, about God's character and about life in general. And so it has something to say to us. And I think from this we can get the first characteristic for today of outrageous worship, that outrageous worship must have a biblical view of a big God. Because if it doesn't, then what are we worshipping? This, when we read this in the Psalms, this is not the psalmist being vengeful. It's them expressing their belief that God is God. Sin has consequences, must be punished, and we know now is dealt with on the cross. And that is reason for worship. So whenever there is wrongdoing, ultimately God will have the final say. He will deal with it. He will set things straight. 
and he will make things right. The judge of the earth will do right. But he is the only one who can do that. He is the only one who is in the place to do that. Vengeance belongs to him. Romans 12 Verses 19 to 21 say this. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it's written, vengeance is mine, I will repay. That's a quote from Deuteronomy, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And... It's not an Old Testament thing. We must never make this divide. It's not not right. That was from Romans in the New Testament. Exactly the same sentiment. Leviticus 19, if you want to read it. Vengeance belongs to God. And our response is, leave the vengeance to God. But cry, call on him to intervene and set things right. Absolutely. And then demonstrate love and kindness in the hope that the mercy of God will be poured out on them. And when these psalmists write this stuff, they're committing their problem, the big problem, to God. They're calling on God to act on this sin and to deal with it. And so for us, rather than run away from what we deem to be vengeful language, maybe we need to get a bit less bland in our praying. And call on him to intervene. What are we praying about the political situation in India? The rise of Hindu extremism and the the death of Christians across that nation. What are we praying? Oh, God, bless that nation. No, surely there should be some more passion in there. And that's what David's praying here. This is about the advance of God's kingdom and the fact that this evil behavior is thwarting that. And he doesn't leave his prayer with this just pour out judgment either. The other half of verse 13, so it says, destroy them in wrath, destroy them that they may be no more, that men may know that God rules in Jacob to the ends of the earth. That's where the trajectory goes. That's where the prayer goes. The trajectory of David's thought is he wants the nations to come to salvation. Not judgment for judgment's sake, but judgment so that all the world will know. So yes, he's praying that sin and sinners will be dealt with because they're trying to prevent the advance of God's plans. But he's praying that salvation will come. And note that both times, so I quoted verse 5 and verse 13, and at the end of those verses, that's where the pause is. He knows he's prayed something massive. And so it's time to pause and reflect. So outrageous worship has a biblical view of a big, big, big God. But as well, outrageous worship contrasts with the surrounding people. So the title of the sermon is Outrageous Worship When Surrounded. I think we know that speech and the words that we use can create a toxic environment very easily. Three words, send her home. 
Do you remember that from a few weeks ago? The Trump rally? Send her home. Send her home. That's what the, the, the crowd were chanting. Toxic environment. Talking about that democratic. Was she a governor or a congresswoman? Words are so powerful. We've got to be so careful in how we use them. And notice how heavily in this psalm, speech features as a characteristic of the enemy. So in verse 6, we've got the dogs returning the evening, howling. You can imagine it, can't you? Howling. That's how it felt to David in his home. Verse 7, they belch forth with their mouth. Swords are in their lips. Verse 12, on account of the sin of their mouth and the words of their lips, let them be caught in their pride and on account of curses and lies which they utter. It's all about speech. It's all about sin that flows from the heart through the mouth. James talks about this a lot in his letter. And then we get the dogs returning in verse 14, howling again and growling in verse 15. The speech of the enemy. And yet, the speech of the enemy is contrasted hugely with the song of the psalmist. Notice the outrageousness of David's worship. I I love the word but. Look for the word but when you read the Bible. So many times, but, such and such and such and such, but this happens. We've got one here in verse 16. So the dogs are around, I'm surrounded, they're spewing out lies and filth and curses. But as for me, I shall sing of your strength. Yes, I shall joyfully sing of your loving kindness in the morning. They return at evening, but I will sing in the morning. For you have been my stronghold and a refuge. Oh, my strength, I will sing praises to you. Remember the prophetic word at the beginning that I quoted part of? I want you to understand that you will usher in my reign in the context of outrageous worship, that what will mark this church in this season, what will shift the atmosphere, what will replace spiritual strongholds will come from a place of outrageous worship. Just as it's very easy to set up a toxic environment using words and speech, so with songs of praise, we can tear down and dismantle lies. We can break the hold of the enemy over people's lives and over nations and cities. Why? Because Outrageous worship magnifies God. It exalts him to the rightful place. And no lie of the enemy can stand against that. No curse can stick to us when we're singing out truth over us or speaking truth over us. Speaking these lies are combated by singing these truths. Which is why our worship has to have a biblical view of a big God. Because that's the truth that we stand on. So outrageous worship contrasts with the surrounding people, but also it contrasts with our surrounding circumstances. And I think we see it really clearly in that story that was acted out earlier. His David's circumstances should have dictated that fear was the order of the day. He should have wanted to respond with Attacking them. This was a warrior. You know, he had a whole army behind him. 
He's surrounded by these dogs, spewing out hatred, vengeance, treachery, lies, violence, with a, with a warrant to kill him. And yet, and yet, he isn't afraid to see these dogs. He doesn't fear seeing his enemies because his focus is on God. It's a challenge for us all. Dog or God, what are we going to look at? And in our circumstances, I don't know about you all came here safely, so I'm guessing your house isn't surrounded by death squads. Um, Certainly mine isn't. But we can feel surrounded by all sorts of different things. Hostility at work. Isolation. Maybe illness. Maybe loneliness. Or despair. Mental health issues which crowd us in. Financial trouble that we wake up in the night worrying where our next money is going to come from. Could be bullying. Could be that we feel weighed down by responsibility that we have to carry. Responsibility for others, whatever it might be. Could be depression, could be grief. We could be surrounded by all sorts of different things. And yeah, it's not our homes being surrounded by people out to kill us, but it's surrounding us nonetheless. This is not a competition of who has the worst surroundings. It's not that. All of these are challenges. And what should our response be? Our response should be like David's response. We offer it to God and we outrageously worship. And that can sound really glib. I get that. But that what the psalmist is communicating, these circumstances are not light circumstances for David. He didn't know whether he would see any see the new morning. And sometimes the circumstances change and sometimes they don't. They changed for David because he escaped and then spent the next however many years on the run in fear of his life because Saul was still after him. I think we had a really great example of outrageous worship when we were surrounded a few weeks ago. Richard and Caroline Moores. Richard came and shared at the front that they were expecting um, a, a very significant medical diagnosis, kind of report or test result. And he shared about how he was going to worship in spite of the surrounding fear. Do you remember that? I thought, oh, this might work for my sermon. <laughs> that in itself was amazing. But that evening, we had a thirst meeting. And I, we were gathered in that area over there. And I looked across, and Richard and Caroline were there, given what they shared this morning, and they were getting the results that following week. And they were going for it in worship. I just thought, what an example for us. Surrounded by worry, by doubt, by big questions, by fear which would seek to get in, and yet they choose to stand in the presence of God and worship. Outrageous worship contrasts with our surrounding circumstances. And I just want to draw our attention. So you remember earlier I talked about the structure of the Psalms, the kind of verse, chorus, verse, chorus idea. The ends of the choruses I've replicated here and highlighted three words which occur three times. And this is where David's focus was. So all these circumstances and yet, I mean the first strength is about the enemy's strength. 
contrasting with God's strength. But because of his strength, God is my stronghold. He will show me loving kindness. And I don't just think that, but I really think it. And in fact, I'm going to say it again. What a powerful name it is, the name of Jesus. We sang that earlier. How relevant for this, for when we're surrounded. And so I don't know what circumstances you're in today. It may feel that actually you're not surrounded by anything other than pleasant summer sunshine and lambs dancing in the fields. (laughs) Or an ice cream or a sun lounger or whatever. It may be that you can really relate to this. And you know that there are things that are pressing in from all sorts of sides. And you know that you need to be in the presence of God. And you've got some big prayers to pray. And these are big prayers. God, would you intervene? Would you sort this out? The dogs are surrounding me. And yet you are my stronghold. You are my strength. You are the one who will show me loving kindness. So I'd like us all to stand. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to call out your prayers to God. We're going to do this together. And uh, there's no background music or anything like that. So you might feel self-conscious with the person next to you. If you do, there's loads of space. So go and find some space. But just do a bit of calling out to God, offering up to him your circumstances, asking for him to intervene and proclaiming that he is your strength, your stronghold and the one who shows you loving kindness. So let's do that all together now. Go for it. I was um, reading this morning the story um, where uh, the king of Aram sends his army to get Elisha, the prophet, the man of God. And he sends a whole army to catch two people, Elisha and his servant. And he surrounds them at night. And in the morning, the servant gets up, looks out, sees that they're surrounded by an army and um, is terrified. And as I'm sure many of you will know from Sunday school, Elisha's response is to pray for the servant, to say, Lord, Open his eyes, because those that are with us are more than those who are against us. So I just want to pray that, um, that, that the Holy Spirit will just open our eyes, just to see actually who is with us, who's on our side. You know, if God is for us, no one can be against us. He's unstoppable. He's all-powerful. He, he knows the beginning from the end. So, Holy Spirit, I just pray, Lord, for those of us who have got up this morning, looked out, Lord, and are terrified because we see what's surrounding us. And, um, yeah, Lord God, I just pray, Lord, you'll just open our eyes. Lord, open my eyes, Lord God, as I look out at all, the, all of the challenges, Lord God, all of the difficulties that are surrounding our family at the moment. Lord, for each one of us, Holy Spirit, I think you, you know. You know each one of us. You know our circumstances inside out. You care for us. You care for us deeply. Lord, and um, Lord, we're in your hands. You love us. We're in your everlasting arms. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for that promise. You'll never leave us. You'll never forsake us. Lord, your provision is infinite. Lord, you are generous. Lord, we declare that you are good. Holy Spirit, just open our eyes to see the truth. Who, is with, who it is that is with us. The armies of heaven on our side, I pray. Lord, that you would drive out all fear in the name of Jesus. All worry, all anxiety. I thank 
you, Lord, Heavenly Father, you know what we need even before we ask you for it. You're already working on the solution. Lord, we just, um, we just declare that as truth this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.